If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Bitcoin remains a controversial topic. I don't have to tell you that. There it has its lovers. It has its haters. Uh, people question, is it really money? Is it not money? But one thing about it, it can make you money. And a lot of traders in the markets have realized they can make some money in Bitcoin. And we are going to talk to one today. Welcome to Money Beat. I am Paul Vigna. I'm Stephen Grosser. And we are joined in the studio by Wall Street Journal reporter Stephanie Yang. Stephanie, no, is no stranger to the podcast. How are you? Good, good. And this is uh, in relation to a feature that you're writing, a profile. So why don't you, Stephanie, introduce our guest? Okay, great. So today we have with us Bo Collins, who has done a lot of his work and in his career in the commodities business and now is moving into Bitcoin and blockchain. So we thought we'd have him in the studio to talk about what he sees, what kind of opportunities there are in Bitcoin and what convinced him that this is something that is actually going to take off and really really change the way that financial markets work. Yeah. Uh, Bo, Bitcoin's a fraud. Tell me why it isn't. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I uh, obviously don't take the view that Bitcoin is a fraud. There's a number of reasons why it's not a fraud. I guess it's no less of a fraud than the green dollar bill that's in my pocket right now. Yeah, if you really want to think about it. If right? you really want yeah. to think about it. So the, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is it makes you actually think about money, which mm -hmm. I, I started my career at the Federal Reserve and I can tell you I didn't really think about what money was. I, I understood payment systems. I understood how things move around. Uh, you obviously understand interest and lending and all kinds of sophisticated concepts, but you never ask yourself the question, what is money? And academics for years have written papers about what money is and they usually have like five or six or seven, eight, like items that they'll list on it describing what they think makes a currency or a money. And the reality is when you really dig deep into it, all money is is a mutually agreed upon accounting system. It doesn't matter what it is physically. It turns out that through the ages, we use things that had physical utility because it was safer. You, you knew what you could do with a bushel full of wheat or for that matter, gold. But as, as we progress as a society, we've just sort of like been lulled into this practice of using money without asking what it is. And really all it is at the end of the day is a mutually accepted accounting system. So to the extent that the accounting system is secure and honest mm -hmm. and transparent and functional, then... And we agree on it. It's not a fraud. Yeah. In, in its simple way, that's where I get to what Bitcoin is. It's simply an accounting system. And the other virtual currencies that are being launched every other day, it feels like. Actually, every day. Yeah, every day. That's a good point. <laughs> Those are also accounting systems that people are proposing that we are, we are watching closely to see if they get any consensus. And the reality is each of these systems have different qualities. They have different security qualities. They have different uh, payment times, fee structures, governance structures. Mm -hmm. And so what the beautiful thing about blockchain, this is, I think, the miracle, is as all of these mechanisms, these, these proposed accounting systems, end up on a similar technology that gives us, the consumer, 
this amazing shopping cart of choices of what we want to look at and make our own decisions, uh, almost like democratically elect, what system works best, mm-hmm. best for me. You, you, I mean, I'd like to take a step back here for a moment. You began your career on the New York Mercantile Exchange. You're trading cotton, natural gas. How do you end up you know, looking at Bitcoin and starting a, a fund to trade Bitcoin? So um, the, uh, my early career, like I mentioned, was with the Federal Reserve, and I was immediately attracted to trading. I had fantasies about working on the bond desk in New York. <laughs> Instead, I was in the check payment system in Houston, Texas. Um, which was not very sexy at all, as you can imagine. And I finally kind of put in the request to senior people at the bank that liked me and my career was going well, and they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, (laughs) you're never ever going to make it on a bond desk. And so I I quickly realized that it was time to, like, make a shift. And in essentially one or two steps, I ended up as a trader on the floor of the New York Mercantile Exchange, kind of pursuing my passion for trading. And trading very much has to do with – other simple principles like buy something cheap and sell it for more money or sell it first and buy it cheap. Behind all of that is also a payment system, a payment system, a clearing system. It's a mechanism for moving things around. And and I was very uh, comfortable with those given my experience. And as my career evolved and I became president of NYMEX, we launched the world's first commercially successful clearing uh, OTC clearing mechanism called Clearport that leveraged these same concepts, payments, utility, efficiency, processing, and counterparty credit. And in those systems, those are a trust-based system, right? So the rules are set up so that you have to trust your counterparts Somehow, and what what is revolutionary, obviously, about blockchain is it's a non-trust system that affords you almost the same, probably even better security than in a trust-based mechanism. So, what got me interested is I routinely just read, read, read. I was reading mostly on the internet, looking for interesting things. I like mathematics. I uh, actually used a service called StumbleUpon and ended up coming on Satoshi's white paper. <laughs> and read it and just my jaw dropped. It was immediately clear that this was a revolutionary system that fixed many, many problems all at once, including the problem that is intractable, which is our fiat mechanism of devaluing currency. That That is a game. I mean, most thinkers about it will either say nothing about what's really happening or they will talk about we're stuck in a liquidity trap that's going to be very, very difficult to mm-hmm. unwind. So I began following it. It took me two more years before I actually invested <laughs> because I was also skeptical. But my first investment was uh, at $13. And I've been investing in it, in and out, and other things related to blockchain and virtual currencies uh, since that time. Wow. I think that was late 2010. Yeah. For reference, so your first trade was at $13. Right now, uh, I am pulling up, it is trading at $5,432.79. Right. I think so, that might, I think that beats the S and P. It's a slight return <laughs> on your investment. It's, it's an extraordinary uh, it's an extraordinary feat. And <clears throat> so when you make this investment, the very first thing you start doing is asking yourself, "Well, I wonder what this could be worth one day." Hmm. And and you have all kinds of financial machinations that you go through to try to figure it. And I actually went through the exercise of managing all of the world's liquidity in U.S. dollars and imagining a, a world where Goldman Sachs recommended that. People keep 10% of their portfolio in this thing called virtual currency. And if you back into that number, it actually ends up being about a million dollars of Bitcoin. You can dial in all your assumptions and you get – it's hard to get down to something less than $50,000. If you you look at like assumptions – Assuming that it gets adopted widely. 
Correct. Yeah. yeah Correct. Yeah. Assuming that it continues to have success operationally, they have the, – the whole blockchain system still has challenges that are not uh, certain yet how they'll be fixed. Um, one of the things I think that's really important to watch is the processing capacity, essentially how many mm-hmm. transactions per minute can they process and, and what the cost of that is. So there, there is often this assumption that Bitcoin is a free system and it's not. There are transaction costs absolutely. But what it does do is it lets you dial in some freedom of how long you want your transaction how to take How much you're to willing to pay to get the transaction through. Right. right, right or right. how fast. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and so Bitcoin is known to be very volatile and commodities are also known to be very right. volatile. So being someone who has traded commodities, even at you know very early stages of the market and being someone who has traded Bitcoins, you first bought it at $13. Which one is scarier, do you think? being in the market of? Uh, it is scarier to be in commodity market that's going through a crisis of some sort, particularly a shortage. And the reason why is you don't know how long the shortage is going to last. You don't know what the price could go to. You, you have sort of these these limits, if you will, that are far more unknown. Whereas with Bitcoin, I have a th- there is truly a fundamental underlying thesis. And if you're taking a view over 10 years, it doesn't get you so concerned. I mean, I could have easily have invested new money at $5,000 and rode that all the way down to $3,000 thanks to Jamie Dimon. <laughs> and and and, and China and, China, and right, some others. September, yeah. And and that the whole time in in a commodity market, you would have felt like, well, that's it. I I made the wrong call. It's over. This is you know, get out of the trade and take your lumps and go home. In the blockchain environments, there there is we are in such the early stages, adoption and understanding and valuation that it really just becomes that it was a matter of timing that I just had bad timing, but that trade is going to be profitable. Uh, let's take a break. We have a lot more to talk about. We are talking with Bo Collins, Bitcoiner Bo Collins. This is Money Beat. You are listening to the Wall Street Journal. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. For a new podcast experience, subscribe to the Future of Everything podcast from The Wall Street Journal. Now on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here with Stephanie Yang and Bo Collins, Bitcoin trader. Bo Collins. Uh, a little, little change of career there, Bo. So the first segment, but we kind of got into some of your views on on Bitcoin and, you know, being somebody who writes about this all the time, I've I've heard them before. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I kind of want to ask you is, so you're going to be starting a fund, Mm -hmm. a a Bitcoin fund, which is very 2017, by the way. You know, know (laughs) everyone's like got one. Mm -hmm. But but here's my question. Let's say I'm somebody who doesn't know what Bitcoin is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And let's say I'm a retail investor. How can you possibly convince me that this highly speculative, highly volatile thing that I don't even understand what it is, is something that I should put even $2 into? You you have to begin with – well, let me back up a step. I don't think it's going to be 
the major investment in this is going to be led by what I would call retail investment. I, I think that's unlikely. You're saying it isn't. It will yeah. not. It 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 will be. Um, it, there will no doubt be retail types that invest in various vehicles, if not Bitcoin directly, for no other reason than they're just attracted to the pr- the price increase. Mm-hmm. And and that's where you will see. You'll continue to see volatility, and there'll be there'll be horror stories about who lost what and ICOs, and those are incredibly. Uh, risky, I think. However, what I do think with the phase of investment that we're in right now, if you look at the pools of capital that have largely come into Bitcoin over the last five years, they're what I'll call cowboys. They're the Wild West. They're people oh, yeah. that that are completely comfortable being They're on, gamblers. They're, well, it's even beyond that. They're they're free thinkers, right? So they, they're, they're very comfortable with the idea that they understand something that somebody else doesn't and they're willing to put money into it. They're, they'll speculate some portion of their capital. That That is now – this year is the first year I think that started to shift, um, perhaps a little bit in 16, which is why I waited until now to actually open – the fund. Just just to be clear, we've started the fund already, but it's all our own money. So when we we invested, we opened it this year just with our own capital, and we're up about eighteen hundred percent, which is uh, it's almost laughable to say the numbers out loud because <laughs> I, I don't think that's repeatable. Right. <laughs> Um, just as a, a footnote, um, but it's extraordinary, right? And so those types of returns will attract people that don't really bother to do the homework and understand what it is. Right. Um, but but here's kind of an interesting way to look at it. If I ask somebody, even somebody very very sophisticated, I have an investment banker that I've been dealing with that woke up one day and called me not to talk about the deal we're working on, but to talk about what what is money. If you ask most people that you just run into on the street, you hold up a U.S. dollar and you say, "What is this?" They'll they'll give you very unsatisfying answers. They'll talk about it's money. Well, what's it backed by? Well, it's backed by the U.S. government. Well, what does that mean? If if I go hand my bill in to the Federal Reserve, do I, what do I get back? A pat on the back. I guess so. The, the 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 notion that someone has to really understand something incredibly well to be comfortable investing in it, I think, is overstated. I think that you're going to start seeing institutional types really do the work of understanding what money is and why these various accounting systems, if you will, are going to be. Uh, add incredible utility to the universe and how they can participate in it. So it's always stunned me when you have a very thoughtful person who's built an incredible business like a Jamie Dimon make a very brash statement Mm -hmm. that is uh, clearly talking his book. And keep making it. And he keeps making it. Yeah. Right? And and there's others that that will, will want to pile in behind him. But those statements are not validated in any way by knowledge. And what I mean is Jamie doesn't Jamie doesn't finish the statement saying Bitcoin is a fraud because blah blah blah. Yeah. There is no other it's just a proclamation. What's that that is forcing people it's had an interesting opposite effect. It forces people to evaluate a statement, to ask the question why it's a fraud, why it's not a fraud, and the answers they get to I think are usually the same answers that you and I prescribe to which is like Wow, this is an amazing system. Bo is pointing to me, by the way, folks. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And so Paul brings up a good point that, you know, 2017 really is the year of the launch of Bitcoin funds. And so if there's someone who's looking at, you know, all of these new funds and investment vehicles launching for cryptocurrencies, what's what would you say is your value add? Like when they're looking at what they could possibly do to gain exposure to Bitcoin, why put their money with you? 
first and foremost reason I think you put your money with me is I've had uh, a vast experience trading. It's I've been doing it since I was 27. I've managed very exotic derivative books, and I have the requisite experience and, and discipline to understand markets. But more importantly, I actually am one of the few people that have been investing at this since 2010. And I've been following it closely, and I've been researching, and I've been looking for the right times and spaces to uh, uh, increase uh, my investment. The other major reason is we're not just opening a fund, and and I don't, to be honest, I don't really trade Bitcoin in in the sense of an active trader like you would imagine someone on the floor, the old floors at NYMEX, now on a screen. Uh, we invest in it, and so when when we are investing, we're looking for fundamental reasons and price inflection points, and we are we are mostly going to be a long only type of structure. The question is, what are we going to be long? Mm-hmm. So we won't just take investors' money and put it in Bitcoin and go to Sit the beach. Right. <laughs> we uh, we actively move it into the, what we see as the next big thing. So a, a big driver of our returns, which is about double the value of Bitcoin, is, or double the return of Bitcoin, is because we put a very, very heavy concentration into Ether. Wow. When, Beginning of the year? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So Dude. back it around. Yeah, historic. Seven, right, exactly. I mean, it's just it was up 5,000% at one point. Exactly. I mean, just unbelievable. We, we've also made a major investment in a, 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 a similar blockchain effort called Tezos, which is not talked about as much. But at the time, they rose, raised $235 million on their ICO. It was the biggest at the time ever done. And uh, very talented people. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do. It's not. It's super speculative. But that return was up 1,600% in a week. Did you – OK, wait. That's a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, grocery ask a question. Oh, I, I, I was writing about Tezos. So okay. I, but, yeah, yeah we, t- we talked about this on the break, and you had an interesting answer. I mean, one of the – one of – you know, Mr. Diamond uh, also articulated this, re- I think, last week. But it's one of my big skepticisms of Bitcoin, and its adoption as a currency is just simply, our government's going to allow this, letting go of, like, their fiat currencies – you know they lose, they lose power over their economy to some degree if that it gets it gets widely adopted Are they if if it starts to gain that kind of momentum you know i think a lot of people have talked about governments stepping in and sort of regulating it in a way mm-hmm. um does that, how much does that concern you i guess um well, to be honest, this is heretical in the blockchain universe at least for oh, yeah. its origins, but <laughs> i would encourage regulation uh, my expectation is that you're going to end up in a regulatory framework that looks very similar to uh, our existing money regulatory structures. Much of that regulation is there for good reason. Uh, it protects uh, people. It allows people to not have to think about what is money um, without uh, you know stepping into a fraud or, uh, or other types of issues. So what what I don't envision a world in which virtual currencies are banned. I envision a world in which there is ever increasing layers of regulation to protect from, the, you know, the system, if you will, from the things that we worry about. Where it ends up is in a model in which the fiat currencies, the central banks themselves, have to become a loud, screaming, competing voice in the market for our assets, right? And and one of the things that they can compete on, which is uh, at times can be very valid, is we manage volatility. So 
if you look at sort of economic systems and how money relates to them, the management of volatility, volatility exists naturally in the world. It, ju- it just does, right? Ebbs and flows, people choose to be into this or into that. So you can, you can allow that volatility to exist in your currency and have asset prices be quote unquote stable, if you want to think of it that way, or you can have a very, very stable currency and have asset prices be volatile. So the US dollar is extremely stable, but as we price oil, WTI, no, I don't think anyone would describe oil as stable. So you don't use oil as money, partly for that reason. So of all the arguments I've made about what, or or that I've heard made about what will, why virtual currencies won't succeed, the only one that resonates somewhat is that they're, they're too volatile. So in that sense, a central bank has a benefit. They get to make a claim that says, look, if you, if you own our thing, your thing will – we can make it more stable. We can print more when you need it. We can tr- retract the yeah. market when we need it. The problem in the last 20 years is we've been on a one-way direction. We, we haven't actually shrunk right, because right. You, you get drunk on that Kool-Aid. Hey, uh, l- last question before we let you go. The market for cryptocurrencies, unlike anything you've ever seen before, or is it kind of like things you've seen before? Well, it, it's like the only epic I can compare it to is when people were talking about the internet in 1988. 88. Right, right 88. Yeah. Right. So I, I would argue that we are in the you know 1988 to 1994 period of kind of the investment cycle in uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And blo- in fact, cryptocurrencies have been described as the internet of money. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and and I agree with that. And just as another, I want to add one more thing about the fund. You asked me like why someone else would invest in it. The the Us managing the fund is actually only a small part of our business. We spend a lot of time and money involved in trading other things, uh, particularly energy products. Um, but we also incubate and develop quite a bit of financial technology that we deploy. And so we, we look at cryptocurrency through a much more diverse lens of how does cryptocurrency solve real world problems right now? Like how can you deploy that now? And we're actually in the middle of deploying some ideas that have to do with trade finance that that dramatically reduce the amounts of potential fraud and increase efficiencies as well as a payments mechanism. So that that's the last uh, kind of thing I'd like to say about why us. Um, and the other reason is, is because we have a much more diverse set of knowledge and background and we're penetrated in some other markets. I have okay. one question. Yeah. Is Bitcoin in a bubble right now? <laughs> well, the word bubble is always difficult, right? Yeah. So if if you mean can Bitcoin drop by 50%, yes, it can. Um, it does For on a regular Bitcoin, basis. It might not be a bubble. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. So one of one of my investment theses is, is the best time to buy Bitcoin is after about a – we start buying about a 40% downdraft and down to 60. And that's sometimes that's hard to do. I think in, it is not in a bubble because I think it hasn't even begun to uh, – if you go back to this issue of like the world has X amount of US dollar liquidity. And that's just US dollar. If you add all the currencies, it's double. But US dollar liquidity and how much of that is going to leak its way into cryptocurrencies generally, I don't even think we've I don't I don't even I think we're going to look at a chart of $5,000 about 10 years from now and it'll look like the penny chart that we go all the way back to 2009 on. Mm. So the, here's mm. the other caveat. There is no question in my mind that competing currencies will come up. They'll they'll be launched and they'll be successful. And so one of the other value adds that we add to people is we keep an eye out on their portfolio, making sure that we're in 
we are in the things that have the highest likelihood of success. You very well could end up in a world one day where somebody creates the silver bullet that over a three or four year uh, period of time crushes the value of Bitcoin down to zero. And that's just the utility of technology. So it, it's hard to really say if we're in a bu- bubble. But I, I would say what, what's definitely not a bubble is, is the portfolio value of cryptocurrencies. Hmm. All right. We've got to leave it there. Bo Collins made your career in commodities, now making a new career in cryptocurrencies. Thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch up with you soon.